You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Okay. All right. Enough dilly-dallying. I got a word for you guys tonight, and I hope you're ready. This word is going to be chunky. If it's your first time, if, you're, if it's your first time and you're like, what? What is chunky? Chunky just means we're going to read the Bible in church. I hope that's okay with you. We're going to read the Bible. This word is also going to be a little spicy, y'all. It's going to be a little spicy. What does that mean? It means I'm going to be it means I'm going to be I'm going to be sharing some quotes with you. I'm going to be giving you some points, possibly stepping on some toes tonight, okay? But it's because I love you. Because ultimately, listen to me, ultimately, I believe this is a word that if we will commit to not just hearing this word, but being practicers of this word, it's going to be a word that changes the direction of where we're heading forever. And I believe that with all of my heart. So if you're with me, turn with me over to our main passage of scripture for this whole series. Does anybody know where that is? Just quick pop quiz. Did anybody take notes last week? Acts 4, let's go. Turn with me over to Acts 4. Get something out that you can take notes on. Maybe you want to take notes on your Being Transformed journal. Maybe you want to take notes on your phone. But take notes on something. I'm telling you, there's no excuses. My boy Eric, where's Eric at? My boy Eric, he takes notes on the offering envelope, y'all. When he, no excuses. So that's right. Take notes. So tonight, we're continuing in our vision series that we started last week called With Boldness. With Boldness. How many of you guys got something out of that message last week, out of small groups last week? I know for a fact some of you guys picked up that vision and ran with it because I was hearing about praise reports and testimonies all week long. Some of y'all went to the Target grocery store and were praying for strangers. Some of you guys started prayer groups at your school. Some of you guys are bringing the gospel to your bus station. Like, you guys are amazing. I love you. Let's keep it up. Somebody say, let's keep that up. But for those of you who missed the message last week, or if you're a person like me and you love when you're about to watch a new episode and they give you an episode recap, who likes the episode recaps? I love those. Just helps set the foundation. Anybody skip those? You're not supposed to skip them, y'all. They're there for a reason, okay? So I want to give you an episode recap. So last week, we looked at Acts chapter 4. We took a look at the unlikely start to the early church and the disciples, which eventually became what's known today as like Christianity and the church. And in Acts chapter 4, we looked at how we found the disciples gathered together after Peter and John had just been threatened by this religious group of people called the Sadducees. Somebody say, dun, dun, dun. The Sadducees. And the word of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, is spreading like wildfire at this point in the Bible. And the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they do not want this word about Jesus and his resurrection to spread. So they're trying to put out this fire as quickly as possible and they get Peter and John into custody and they tell them this, if you talk about Jesus again, something bad's gonna happen. We don't know yet, but we're gonna do something. They threaten the disciples and the disciples go back 
to the church, the early church, and they are recognizing at this point that they are facing a very real threat. Like there's persecution that they're facing. They're gonna be treated differently because they're Christians now. They might get pushed out of society because they're Christians now. They could be killed because they're talking about Jesus. So they're in the middle of this incredible persecution and then something happens that we looked at last week. They prayed. And look at this, verse 29, it says this. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant your servants to continue to speak the word with all with all boldness. boldness while you stretch your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Pause. This is kind of crazy. They don't pray, God, would you make the persecution stop? They're not like, hey, God, those Sadducees suck. Could you get them to stop being so mean to us? That was not the prayer that they prayed. They prayed, no, 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 God, would you give us more boldness? They didn't pray for the persecution to end. They prayed for more boldness. And look at what happened. The very next passage. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. With boldness. And so what do we see? God answered their prayer. They asked for boldness. They got boldness. A verse later. They didn't ask for the persecution to go away. They just asked for boldness and they got exactly what they needed. So last week, we kicked off this whole series talking about boldness, talking about what is boldness, who is it for, and what's it all for. And we talked about this, that boldness is not something that is already inside of us. Do you remember that? It's not something that's already inside of us. You're not just a bold person because that's how you're wired that way and like, Sorry if you're an introvert, like it just sucks to suck, you're not gonna be bold one day. Like, no, no, no. The boldness of God is not something that's already inside of you, it's something that you inherit from Jesus. Jesus gives you boldness. I don't care how shy you think you are, I don't care how old you are, what grade you're in, what family you grew up in, I don't care about any of that stuff. Not that I don't care about you, I love you. But what I'm saying is none of that matters because the boldness Jesus wants to give you has nothing to do with you and everything to do with who he is, amen? amen? So that's what boldness is, but who's it for? We talked about how boldness is for people who are tired of living in the status quo. You remember that? It's really, what it is is boldness is for the rebels. <laughs> boldness is for the rebels. Any rebels in the house tonight? What do, I, what do I mean by rebels? I mean, it's the people that when they see the status quo of our broken world, they don't see that brokenness and they're like, yeah, that's just the way it is. Yeah, that's just the way my family is. Yeah, that's just the way my school is. No, 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 they see that and they rebel. They say, no, 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 that's not the way the kingdom of God is supposed to be. I'm gonna do something. That's who gets boldness. And guess what? It's for you right now. It's not when you graduate one day. It's not when you get married one day. It's for you. It's available to you right now, amen? Now, I've got a question for you, New Song students. Do you want to see that kind of change happen in our world today? This is not rhetorical. I want you to raise your hand. Do you believe that this can happen here? Yes. Okay. How many of you desire to see God give you that kind of boldness in your life? Okay. How many of you can sense that God is doing something unique here and wants to use us in a special way? Okay. Me too. I feel that way too. 
So here's what I want to talk about tonight. Because I believe that what we're going to talk about tonight can either be the launch pad into God using us in a miraculous way that changes our schools and our cities and our families forever, or this thing that we're talking about tonight can be the lid. It can either be our launch pad or it can be our lid. What do I mean by that? It can be the thing that if we do it right, if we practice this, man, God is going to move miraculously through us. But if we do not practice what we're gonna talk about tonight, this will become the lid that stops the move of God happening here, okay? So I need you to lean in with me tonight because look at this, the answer, the thing that we're gonna talk about tonight is found in the very next verse after the disciples get the boldness that they needed from Jesus. Look at this. I'm gonna read to you the first part, our main passage, and then we're gonna continue on. It says this. And when they had all prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And, excuse me. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's familiar, right? Okay, look at the very next verse. Now the full number of those who believed Does full number mean everybody? Yeah. Every single person, a part of this church who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And look at what happens. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Okay, what I want you to see tonight is it wasn't their prayer culture that brought the power of God into what they were experiencing. It was their unity. Somebody say unity. Unity. We're talking about unity tonight. And if you're taking notes tonight, the the title of my message is Honoring Others with Boldness. Honoring Others with Boldness. Write that down. Let's pray real quick, and then we're going to jump into this. Word. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for every single heart in this room. I thank you that, man, God, we all sense that you are doing a unique work, not just here, but in our church. We agree with that work. We recognize that you're wanting to move and to use us. But God, do not let us be the lid for what you're trying to do here. We don't want to be the lid stopping a move of God because there's disunity here. So God, I pray for soft hearts tonight. I pray that tonight as we open up your word, if there is anything in us that doesn't look like the kingdom of God, help us to surrender it tonight. Speak to us. Speak through me. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay. When I was a high school student, I believed that I was a part of the best student ministry in the entire world. I I wasn't. (laughs) I'm getting there, Kaysen, hold on. What I was gonna say before Kaysen read my mail was it was a pretty amazing youth ministry, but since I've been here with you guys, I recognize it was good, but it wasn't as good as what we got here. So shout out to you guys. Shout out to you, look at your neighbors, say, you blessed? What we got is really good here. But when I was growing up, man, I went to, I went to an amazing youth ministry. And a, a lot of you guys know my story, but if you don't know my story, I came from and actually had the privilege of getting to grow up in one of the most influential churches in America called Gateway Church. And even though Gateway Church is very much a mega church, huge, massive church, 
the campus that I grew up going to was the smallest campus out of all of the Gateway churches. Now, how I got there is very interesting. When I was a freshman, I started going to this church called North Star, and uh, it was the only youth ministry that I liked going to at the time. I had been invited to a bunch of different other youth ministries, and I just, I don't know, I didn't like the vibe, but for some reason, North Star, I didn't know a single person there, but it just felt different, kind of like what it feels here to, I'm sure, a lot of you. So I start going to North Star on Wednesdays. Well, the first weekend that my family goes to North Star on a Sunday, the elders of the church, they come up to the front of the stage and they say, good morning, everybody. Today, we've got some family business to take care of. So if it's your first time today, we wanna welcome you and we're sorry. Um, We hope you understand. But they were like, the pastor of this church has had a moral failure. He stepped down. He just resigned from his position um, due to a moral failure. And so the head pastor of this church, this was my family's first weekend at this church. (laughs) We're in there on a Sunday morning. We find out that the pastor had a moral failure. He steps down from ministry and we stayed. Like we kept going to the church. It was kind of crazy. I'm sitting next to my mom and I look over to her and she's crying because she's like, this news is terrible. And I'm so mad because this is the only church my son actually wants to go to. So, so they share this bad news, but they had good news. After they shared the bad news of this pastor falling and making a terrible mistake, the, the church let us know that Gateway Church was gonna take over our congregation. And so they were gonna try and save what was broken. And so in, in a single service, North Star became Gateway. And so now I'm not a part of North Star anymore, I'm a part of Gateway Church and we're a part of this massive, influential, healthy mega church. Um, and even though the church, Gateway Church was mega, I'm talking like mega, like 30,000 people go to Gateway Church. Uh, even though we were a part of a mega church now, Gateway Frisco, the, the campus that I was a part of, we had some pretty humble beginnings. We started off small. It started off with just a handful of my closest friends that I went to high school with and some other kids from different high schools in Frisco, Texas. And when we started, there was only about 30 of us, but man, we were on fire. We were on fire. We wanted to see Jesus use us. We wanted to see Jesus change our schools. And I remember it actually feeling a lot like how it feels here on a Wednesday night. When you came into the room at Gateway Students on a Wednesday night, there was just like life in the room. Like it just felt light. Everybody was having fun. Everybody was passionate about Jesus. And it was actually really funny. At Gateway Frisco, there were two main groups. Like I'm not even joking. Like one group over here and one group over here. Over here was all of the Centennial High School band nerds. This is who I was a part of. I was a band nerd. And all, almost, almost all of our high school band from Centennial went to Gateway Students. And we all, stay, we all sat right here. And then on the other side, this was all of the Frisco High School cheerleaders and jocks and football players. But you know what's crazy, though? We were so different. And in the real world, we probably would never hang out. But here, our differences didn't matter. When we were here at Gateway, Frisk, at Gateway Students, like, it didn't matter that we were the band kids and these were the, the jocks and the cheerleaders. We were all under one vision. 
we were all chasing after the same thing. We all wanted to live for Jesus, and it was amazing. In fact, even though our youth group was the smallest youth group out of all the other campuses, dude, we made a big splash at Gateway. Like, we made a huge splash. After uh, just three years, from my freshman year to my senior year, we went from a group of 30 kids to over 200 students every single Wednesday night at Gateway Frisco. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. But not only that, we would, go to, we would go to summer camp and we would go with all of the other Gateway campuses and we were the tiniest campus, but we were the hypest campus there. It was kind of like how we are at camp, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like we brought the energy and we would dominate the camp games and we would be passionate about seeking Jesus at camp. We made a splash. It was amazing. But over time, the longer we were friends, the longer we started to hang out and get closer, and the more our family started to turn into a family, the more our unity got tested. Our unity got tested. And there was a night, man, that I will never forget, a single night where our tight, our close-knit family that we had been growing for three years dissolved into nothing in a single night. And it was because, you know, there was some drama. Y'all know about drama? You gotta love it, right? There was, there was some drama and normal stuff that was happening in our youth group and our family, like people, you know, hanging out, stopped hanging out. People started dating each other and breaking up, like all normal things. And listen to me, I'm not saying that it's bad to do that stuff. That's normal stuff. But it wasn't dealt with. You hear me? Yeah. It wasn't dealt with. And so on the last night, of a Gateway student conference on the last night, I get a text from one of my best friends since fifth grade who went to youth group with me. And I opened this text message and it was one of those like book text messages. You ever gotten a book text message before? Yeah. And you're like scrolling and you're like, okay, it's almost, okay, we're still going. Okay, we're still going. You ever gotten one of those? I got one of those text messages. And, and my best friend at the time, he's basically letting me know how terrible of a friend I've been. How, no, just, just listen to me. This is okay. This is okay. He's letting me know. Like, dude, you're, you're the worst friend. I, like, we've been so close, and you've treated me terribly. I don't want to be friends with you anymore. We're done. I don't want to ever see you again. That's the kind of message I got. And this friendship in a single text message was over. Over. And I'm not up here tonight saying that it was all his fault. And I'm not up here, saying, up here tonight saying that I didn't have any part to play in it because I'm sure, yeah, there was probably tons of ways I could have been a better friend to this person. And I recognize that relationships go two ways. You know that, right? Yeah. Relationships go two ways. But what I am saying is that this disunity killed a move of God wow. in my student ministry. Wow. It killed a move of God in a minute. And it didn't matter how much our student ministry had done in the past. Listen to me, New Song students. It didn't matter how much we each individually wanted to be used by God because we weren't unified. It didn't matter. And instead of this whole amazing group of kids graduating and going off to serve God and change the world like we had all dreamed of doing, only a handful of us today are still serving God. I'm just being real with you. Like, a, a group of 200 kids that I went to youth group with, we all dreamed of following Jesus forever. And I'm not even talking about going into ministry. I'm talking about just being a Christian. 
And I know so many of those people who don't even follow Jesus anymore. I say all of that to say this, New Song students, God is doing a unique work here. He's doing something special. You would have to be blind to not see what God is doing here. He's doing something very special in our midst. But I also want you to know that no church is invincible. No family is invincible. And the enemy knows this. Dude, the enemy knows this. So you know what he'll do? He will try to sow disunity here. He'll try to sow disunity between you and other people in this room. And he'll try to get you to think it's okay. Like, it's cool if, like, you don't bring it up. It's okay if you have those issues with that person and you just pretend that they're not, they're not a thing when you're here. And we can just pretend like everything's good, but outside we know things are not. This is the very thing that I think can kill a move of God. Why? Because unity is important to God. Do you know that? Unity is important to God. In fact, I think if the church got this revelation that unity is so important to God, we would spend a lot more time forgiving each other than we did in worship. Like we would spend a lot more time doing that because there's an important aspect. When we look at the early church, this is who we're looking at in this series, the early church. When we look at an aspect of them, we see that there was something that led to every move of God that they experienced. And it wasn't necessarily the fact that they prayed all the time. Like sometimes when we look at the book of Acts, the thing we pull out is that the church prayed a lot. And so we're like, man, if we could just pray more, man, God would change the world. And please hear me, prayer is important. Like we gotta pray. We also tend to think that, oh, it's just because they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why God moved. So like if we could just get every single New Song student filled with the Holy Spirit, then God's gonna move. And please hear me, the Holy Spirit is essential. Like he's important. But what I want us to see is that there's one thing that I think we've forgotten that the early church had, and I believe it was the key to them experiencing a move of God in their life. And it wasn't necessarily because they prayed a lot. It was because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but you know what it was because? It was because they were completely unified, completely unified. I wanna read you a couple passages in the book of Acts. Let's refresh our brains on Acts chapter four, where we're kicking this whole thing about. It says now, the full number. Is the full number everybody? The full number is everybody. Everybody in the church who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. Is everything everything? everything. Everything's everything. They had everything in common. That's Acts chapter four. Let's go back to Acts chapter one. Check this out. All of these, the disciples, were with one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brother. That's Acts chapter one. What about Acts chapter two? Check this out. It says, and all. Is all all? All is every single person, right? And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, not separate, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with, what word is that? With all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. 
What is the common denominator between the three verses that I just read to you? It's the fact that they were all unified. One heart, one mind. The Bible says of one accord. Now, why is this so important to God? Like, why can't God just recognize that, like, sometimes people suck? <laughs> like, sometimes relationships are really hard, right? Why can't God just understand that and then, like, let me do my own thing? And, like, if we just stay our separate ways, then, like, we're good, right? Like, why can't God figure that out? Well, here's, here's why. It's because Jesus makes it pretty clear. If you're taking notes, write this down. Unity is God's will, Unity is God's will. Look at what Jesus says. John 13, 35, it says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if, pause. Jesus is about to let all of us know the, the single reason why people are gonna know that you follow Jesus. Look at what he says the reason is, if you love one another. Jesus doesn't say people are gonna know you follow Jesus because you're so bold. <laughs> and we're talking about boldness in this series, and boldness is important. But Jesus says, no, the reason why people are going to know you're a Christian is because you love one another. You know why this is important? Because we can have a bold church, but, man, if we're disunified, that's a very confusing picture to the world. Like, what is the church? The church is not just a bunch of people. The church is the body of who? It's the body of Christ. Look at this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, the church is not a religious community of worshipers of Christ, but is Christ himself who has taken form among people. So look at this. I think one of the main reasons why people leave the church is not necessarily because they lack faith. Like, I don't think it's because of unbelief that a lot of, that a lot of people leave the church. What I think it is, is people who have gotten into the church, and the longer they've been in the church, they found out that the same gossip, the same disunity, the same hatred that's in the world is sometimes in the church. And what's the point of being a part of something that claims to be different but is no different on the inside? What's the point? This quote from Rich Velotis is spicy, y'all. Y'all ready for a spicy quote? If the church, if the church is the body of Christ we dare not cannibalize ourselves. When we devour each other through gossip, slander, condemnation, we sink our sharp teeth into the flesh of Christ. Not in the Eucharist. Now, the Eucharist is another name for communion. So it's saying we don't eat the body of Christ like communion, but in fleshly fallenness. Even though, I know I'm coming down heavy. <laughs> But even though disunity is very much a thing in the body of Christ today, I don't believe that it is God's will. And I think that if it's God's will for us to walk in unity, then it is 1,000% possible for you and I to walk in complete unity with each other. Here's why I believe that. John 17 is a prayer that Jesus prays. It's the longest prayer we have in all of the Bible that Jesus prays. And it's about you and me. Look at this. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them, talking about the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe. Are you a person who will believe? So Jesus is praying for you right now. This includes you. Look at this. That all of them may be, is anybody paying attention? May be 
one. There's that word again. Father, just as you in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they might be one as we are one. I am in them and you in me. Look at this. This is the best part. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Somebody say complete unity. What I want you to see, this is super interesting. The longest prayer that we have Jesus praying in scripture is about unity. Why is unity so important to God? Here's why. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in complete, perfect unity. And we, you and me, were created in that image. That image of perfect community. Meaning, the way that we live our life, the way that we love our family, the way that we love New Song students, the people in this room, is either reflecting an image of that complete unity or it's painting a really ugly picture of God to the world. And Jesus would not ask us to do something if it were not possible. Jesus would not pray something for us if it was impossible for us to walk in. So what am I trying to tell you today? Well, how do we walk in this unity that Jesus prays for? Is it a prayer that we pray? I wish. Man, if this was just a prayer that we could pray, that would make things so much easier. But that's unfortunately not how we walk in unity. I've got another spicy quote for you guys. Can you handle another spicy quote? Have you ever been to a Thai food place? And they're like, hey, what spice level would you like this at? And it's like one, two, or three. And if you're like me and you like spicy food, you're like, I'm going to go with a safe two. And it still comes out lava hot. This is a lava hot spice level three quote for you guys. Are you ready for this? Look at this. This is from A.W. Tozer. He says, we pray, oh God, send the Holy Spirit upon us so that we'll be united. We might as well just be repeating three blind mice. God does not hear that kind of prayer because it makes no sense. The Holy Ghost did not come upon the disciples to unite them. The Holy Ghost came upon the disciples because they were already united, being of one accord and in one place. Scholars tell us that being one accord is a musical term, meaning harmony. The early Christians were one. They were in harmony with each other when they were together in one place. So what I want you to see tonight is God will never zap unity into our family. God does not zap unity into our family just because we prayed a prayer about our dramas and then he just came in and fixed everything. Like that would be amazing but that's not how it works. In fact, Jesus lets us know how this works in Matthew chapter five. Are we okay with reading some more Bible? Yeah. Look at this. It says this, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you that whoever is anger, angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool, will be liable to the hellfire. Y'all, this is Jesus talking, not me. But look at this, verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First, go and reconcile to your brother and then 
come and offer your gift. What is Jesus telling us in this passage? He's saying it takes you. It takes you. You know what it takes? It takes boldness to walk in unity. This example that Jesus gives us is honestly kind of crazy. He doesn't say like, if you sinned and you have a problem with somebody. No, he says, if you remember that somebody else has a problem with you. You know what that means to me? You might not have even done anything wrong. You might be in the right. But if you remember in worship, somebody else has something against you. God is telling us, I would rather you stop worshiping me, go figure that out, walk in unity, and come back. That's crazy, y'all. What is Jesus telling us? God is not necessarily going to do the work of restoring unity for us. But it's not, unity doesn't come from prayer, but it does come from something. If you're taking notes, write this down. Unity is born from honor. It's born from honor. Romans 6, 1 through 6 says, Love one another with brotherly love and affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor means this. It's the recognition of the value, contribution, and importance in others. What does honor look like in the real world? It looks like Mother's Day. Y'all know what Mother's Day is? Hopefully you do. (laughs) Mama A knows what it is. Okay. What is Mother's Day? It's a day when we honor our moms. What does that look like? It looks like one day. Hopefully it's more than one day out of the year. (laughs) But it's a day out of the year where we stop, we look our moms in the eye, and we say, thank you, right? Thank you. I recognize that you are important to me. What are we doing to our moms? We're honoring them. I was watching the Cowboys game the other night. Who was watching that game? I was watching the Cowboys game, crazy game, against the Buccaneers. And during that game, one of the Buccaneers players got injured. And he was on the ground for like five minutes, y'all. And this was crazy. An entire stadium full of thousands and thousands of people went silent. Completely silent. The, the opposing team, the Cowboys, all took their helmets off. They got down on one knee, and they're watching this all happen. What's happening in this moment? They are giving this player honor. They're honoring him. What are they saying? They're recognizing the value of this player, the contribution of this player, the importance of this player. They're recognizing that this guy is more than just a football player. He's a person who's hurt and created in the image of God, and they honored him. Honor is having the eyes to see past where people are at right now and seeing the fact that they're a person created in the image of God. That's what honor is. Honor is the thing that brings all of us to the same level. What does honor do? Honor helps me to see that you are a flawed human just like me. No matter how much I think you annoy me, no matter how much I think you deserve my frustration, What does honor do? Honor says, I recognize that you did this to me or you've you've done this, but you are a child of God just like me who is still on a journey of becoming like Christ. Amen. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. I love this quote. No Christian should approach another Christian directly. They should be mediated by Christ. What does that mean? In other words, in other words, if you are talking to another Christian, person in general, but we'll just keep it with Christian tonight. If you're talking with another Christian in person, through a text message, on social media, on a comment, on be real, y'all, I read your comments. I hope you know that, right? I read your comments, y'all. When you're talking about somebody who's not in the room and you're talking about them, 
what this quote is saying is you need to be running by Jesus every word you're about to say. And if Jesus would not agree with what you're saying, it doesn't need to come out, period. Do you hear me? Like Christ needs to be mediating everything that comes out of here as a Christian. And you know what? It doesn't matter how frustrated I am. If Christ wouldn't say it through me, I don't need to be saying it. This is what honoring another person looks like. But Pastor Jackson, they know I'm just playing. They know I'm just playing. Do you know? How do you know that they know that you're just playing? But Jackson, like that's, that's just how we talk, dude. Like we just talk rough, but it's really okay. That's cool. You can slice it that way, but would Jesus say that? I know I'm kind of, I know I'm kind of bringing the hammer down, but it's for a reason. It's because I love you and I believe that honor is so important and we can slice the way we talk to each other however we want and try to make it look good. But if Jesus wouldn't say it through us, it's not honoring and it is causing disunity. And I'm telling us this because I wanna see God move here. And if you wanna see God move here too, then we have to be a people of honor. Really quickly, I wanna give you these six things. I'm gonna run them through real quick. So you might wanna take a picture of these. These are some ways that we can practice honor here in New Song Students. Number one, avoid gossip, period. Number two, see Jesus in other people. Number three, speak directly to each other. And here's a good quote for you. This is what this means. If a person comes to you and they wanna talk to you about somebody else and it's negative, this is what you tell that person. Don't tell me unless you plan on talking to them. Don't tell me what you're about to tell me unless you plan on talking to them. Number four, assume the best. Number five, remember whose team we're on. We're all on the same team here. Number six, don't try to be right, try to understand. And really quickly, I wanna talk about what unity is not, okay? Here's what unity is not. Unity is not about all of us being the same. It's not about all of us dressing the same, liking the same things, being into the same stuff. Unity is actually about all of us being different under one vision. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 12 says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would we be? As it is, there are many parts. Somebody say many parts. There are many parts, yet one body. So what, what is this? Unity happens when a bunch of very different people come together under one vision, one heart, the same mind. That's what unity looks like. It looks like us honoring one another through our differences, not trying to change everybody to look exactly the same. Unity is also not achieved through avoiding conflict. Sometimes we can think that unity is like keeping the peace. Like, like if I could just keep the peace, like, yeah, there's, there's something obvious going on with my friends, and, but we're not gonna deal with it. We're just gonna pretend like it's not a thing. And so we come to New Song students and we just avoid the elephant in the room, even though we all know something is going on. But this is not unity. Unity is not avoiding and pretending that things don't exist. Unity is actually doing something about it. It's saying something. Maybe it's confronting somebody in love. Actually, unity is something that has to be fought for. Number, point number two is this, unity must be protected. 
Unity must be protected. There's this crazy story. I'm going to go through it really quickly because, man, we could spend the whole message on this if we had time. But it's where Paul confronts the apostle Peter in Galatians chapter 2. And Peter and Paul are both apostles. They are both top dogs in the church. But Paul comes into this gathering of Christians and sees Peter doing something hypocritical. And he confronts Peter to his face in front of everybody. Look at this. It says, but when, when, when Kephas, this is talking about Peter, so I'm going to replace that with Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Yeah, I know. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men, he came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him even that Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct, it was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter in front of all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, uh, live like a Gentile, not a Jew, how can you tell the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, this is Paul confronting Peter, like the Peter. And this is not Peter before the Pentecost, like Like Peter before the Pentecost, that would make sense. He did a lot of dumb stuff. No, this is Peter after Pentecost. Like after the 3,000 people get saved, after he heals the lame man who couldn't walk, that Peter, that Peter who the church is being built off of, he's still a man though. And he acts hypocritically at this group of believers. And Paul walks in, in this moment, and he sees that Peter is treating these Gentile Christians hypocritically. He's treating them differently because another group of people walked in and he feared how they would think about him. So he, he uh, separates himself from them. Paul walks in and when we read this, we can read this and be like, dude, Paul, calm down, bro. Why are you being so harsh with Peter? But what I want you to see is Paul is not making a scene here. Paul is protecting unity. Do you know what would have been wrong for Paul to do in this moment? It would have been wrong for Paul to see Peter walking in this hypocrisy and say nothing. It would have been wrong for Paul to see Peter doing this and for him to go to those Gentile Christians and, be, and say, like, can you believe what Peter is doing right now? Yeah. That would be wrong for, for Paul to do. But you know what he does? He actually honors Peter by confronting him. Yeah. Look at what David Guzik says. As hard as this was, Paul did it because he knew what was at stake. Yeah. Unity was at stake. This wasn't a matter of personal conduct or just personal sin on on Peter's part, if that were the case, it is unlikely that Paul would have first used such a public approach. But this was a matter of truth, of the gospel. This is how a man is to be right before God. Unity is something that has to be protected. New Song students, my question to you is, are you protecting unity here? Are you protecting the unity here? Last year, our, our pastors, we had a staff meeting, and our pastors gave us a talk about unity, and they gave us some points to let us know these are signs to let you know you are not protecting unity. I got a, we're just gonna keep going spicy, y'all. Is that okay? This is, these are three signs that you know you're not protecting unity. Number one, people feel comfortable talking negatively to you about other people. Number two, you feel comfortable talking negatively about others. If you Don't get a check in your spirit. When you start to talk negatively about other people, that's a sign you're not protecting unity. Number three, you feel uncomfortable talking to people who can actually 
help you. Unity must be protected, New Song students. And it's not my job to protect the unity here. I, I have a part to play, but guess what? So do you. You have a part to play in protecting this unity here. And I believe if we want to see God move here miraculously, we have to be people who protect unity. Amen? Amen. Unity is also, finally, as we get ready to close, I want to invite the band to come up. Unity, last point is this, is critical to a move of God. Unity is critical to a move of God. Uh, I don't believe in formulas, but I do believe in patterns. (laughs) I don't believe in formulas, but I believe in patterns. What do I mean by that? We've been talking about revival a lot here at New Song. Revival is like seeing God move in a miraculous way that only he can do. Does anybody want to see that happen here? I I want to see revival happen here. And we've been talking about that a lot here at New Song. And I think sometimes in the church world, we can think about seeing revival take place and trying to get the right formula in place to have that happen. So we think like, okay, If we can just get everybody in the church to pray every day, then we'll see revival. If we could just get everybody to do a New Testament shred, then we'll see revival. If we could just get everybody to worship in their car for 15 minutes a day, then we'd see revival. But you know what that is? That's trying to tweak the formula to get something from God. And that doesn't work that way. It's not about formulas, but I do believe there is a pattern that we can learn from. And when we look at the early church and all of the crazy moves of God that they experienced, there is a pattern in those moves of God. And the pattern is this. They were of one accord. They were of one heart, one mind, completely unified. And then boom, revival would happen. Revival would take place there. And this isn't isn't a formula. This is a pattern we learn from, not just from scripture, but when you look at history, and you look at revivals that have happened in history, you see the same formula. As we close, I wanna show you this quick story about this revival that happened in Scotland called the Hebrides Revival. Has anybody heard of the Hebrides Revival? Two people, cool. Well, I'm gonna tell you about it so you don't even have to worry about it. The Hebrides Revival started in Scotland. It was in like the middle of nowhere, like, super small town. If God would have chosen a place to have a revival, you would think it would be like in a big city where there's lots of people, but it happened in the Hebrides in Scotland. It's this tiny town in the middle of nowhere. And the way it started is so fascinating. The way it started was these two 80 year old ladies came to their pastor at their church and they told their pastor, hey, we feel like God is telling us if we'll become a people of prayer, he'll pour his spirit out on this church in ways that we can't even imagine. So the pastor's like, okay, I'm down for that. So they started having prayer meetings and they prayed every single day for three months and nothing happened. Nothing happened after three months of praying every day. But then one one night during a prayer meeting, a young deacon gets up to the front of the church and he reads this passage that God put on his heart. It's Psalm 24, it says this, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, that person will receive blessing from God and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is this generation 
of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So this young deacon comes up in this prayer meeting, reads this passage, and I wanna read to you what he says after this. It'll be up on the screen behind me. He says, it seems to be so much humbug, which that's a great word. That means he's saying it seems pointless to me. Look at this. It seems to me so much humbug to be waiting and waiting, to be praying and praying when we ourselves are not rightly related to God. Then he lifted his hands toward heaven and prayed, oh God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And what happened is this prayer service turned into a forgiveness service. And the prayer service turned into praying about God to send revival to everybody was confessing their sins to one another. People in the church were going to another, one another and they were like, hey, I'm sorry for what I did. Would you forgive me? They're forgiving one another. The main language was not their prayer language. It was the language of forgiveness. And this is how the revival in the Hebrides started. And the revival turned into a hundred years of 24 seven prayer. They prayed in the Hebrides for a hundred years straight. And you know how it happened? It happened when they became unified. That's how it started. So New Song students, I say all of that to say this, God wants to move here. But this is the question, are your hands clean? Is your heart pure? And if the answer to that question is no, that's okay. But here's the invitation from God tonight. Let's make it right tonight. Let's make it right tonight.